This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 37. Let's go. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to episode 37. Great to have you here with us. Hope you're having a great day. Man, I so appreciate you listening to the show. Really means a lot. And we're just honored, honored, excited, stoked that you're uh, you're hanging out with us today. We've got a great show. But before we get to all of those uh, those fresh baked knowledge biscuits that we've been uh, cooking up in the background, there you smell it. Mmm, just smells fresh. Smells good. Before we get to all that, I want to give a quick shout out to today's sponsor, 99designs. Why have you not checked them out yet? I'm serious, my friend. You got to check them out. Because here's the deal. Working with an individual graphic designer, it just, it's got its limitations. Timing is one of those. So if you want dozens of designs to choose from in just seven days, you got to go to 99designs.com slash grant. They will hook you up with a $99 power pack of services for free. Now, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention to you real quick is uh, I'm super stoked this week. I'm actually speaking speaking in New Orleans at the Financial Bloggers Conference, FinCon. So uh, a couple things. A, um, I'm going to be hosting a meetup there with my friend Jeff Goins. Jeff, actually, he was on the show, episode 25. You can go back and check that out, grantbaldwin.com slash Jeff Goins, G-O-I-N-S. Great dude. Uh, He's going to be another speaker there. So we're going to be hosting a, a, a meetup that uh, you are more than welcome to come attend and hang out with us. So I'll give you a little more details at the end of the show about that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, though. All right, let's get to today's guest. Today, we, uh, we got my friend James Clear. And James is a guy who's got his hand in several different things. He's, he's a writer. He's an entrepreneur. He's a photographer. But overall, the guy just he just has a great way of just thinking and approaching life and approaching uh, his career and business. Really a guy that helps you think about habits and building habits and creating a life that you want to have. So when I heard his story, I knew that we had to have him on the show, so I'm super excited to, uh, to share his journey with you today. All right, so let's get into it. Let's dive in. Let's do some work, people. Here we go. James Clear. Enjoy. All right, welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by James Clear, who is a, uh, a photographer, writer, traveler, just a, uh, a renaissance man of sorts. James, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. All right. So I gave you a quick snapshot there, but for someone that may not be familiar with you or your work, paint us a little picture of what you do. Sure. So for most of the time now, I write about behavior change, behavior psychology, and building better habits, and then applying how to build better habits, the science of habit formation, to health and creativity and productivity. And that's that's usually what I write about every Monday and Thursday. I publish new articles on jamesclear.com and I've been doing that for about the last two years. And then in addition to the articles that I create, I also try to go on anywhere from three to six photography trips a year. And so in the last four years, I think I've done photography work in about 21 countries. And yeah, and so I showcase the photography as well. And it's sort of a way for me to to share the ideas and practice. In a lot of my articles, I try to use proven scientific research and and I spend actually a lot of time trying to parse through the pseudoscience and get to things that actually work. But I don't want to just talk about theories and ideas. I also want to be someone who puts those ideas into practice. So whether it's talking about photography or building a business as an entrepreneur or my background as a weightlifter and an athlete, I, uh, I played baseball through college. Those are ways that I can put those ideas into practice and talk about, hey, we have this idea, but what does it actually take to do it in the real world? So nice. Kind of the, so you feel, so I guess it sounds like in some ways that your writing is kind of, let me just put some of these ideas out there and then my photography is how I'm personally actually living it out. 
Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Same way with uh, with my weight training. So I competed on an Olympic weightlifting team a couple of years ago when I was living in Ohio, and now I live in North Carolina. So I still train on my own. But those are further examples of this is how I'm trying to you know live this stuff out. Nice. All right, let's backtrack a little bit. So you you grew up in Ohio, born and raised there. Yeah, I was born and raised outside of Cincinnati. I lived in the same house for the first 18 years of my life. I grew up, I mean, I grew up trying a, a variety of different things. I, I lived mostly in the country and ran around on my grandparents' farm and, you know, went down the field and built this little dam in a creek and, you know, all types of things like that. So I loved being outside as a kid, which I think sort of instilled a little bit of a sense of adventure that I that I use or you can see today in, in my travel and photography work. But I also was really into sports. My dad played minor league baseball for the St. Louis Cardinals. So when I was growing up, of course, I wanted to be like him and, you know, play professionally and all that. So I tried a wide range of sports, but I ended up sticking with baseball. I played baseball and basketball through high school and then baseball through college. Nice. Okay. And now I'm immediate. Now I'm a bigger fan of you because I, uh, I dig your story more because I'm a huge diehard Cardinals fan. So I was getting ready to interject and ask if you were a Reds fan being from Cincinnati because then I was we may have to cut it off here. But if you've got ties to the Cardinals, then how do you make that work in your mind? <laughs> well, thankfully, for most of my life, the Reds haven't been that good. Neither of the Bengals. So I haven't, uh, <laughs> I, haven't I haven't had to worry about it too much. Cardinals have had much better years recently. But um you know, it's funny. I love as a fan, I love uh, college football. Yeah. But as a player, you know, I love baseball and basketball. But because I was playing it so much, I never really like followed it as much as a fan. It's like I just spent four hours in the baseball field. I don't need to come home and watch it now. Sure. Um, so anyway, but yeah, I haven't had to worry about it too much. Maybe the Reds will turn around and, and put together a couple good years here. <laughs> there you go. I'll, as uh, being in the uh, NL Central as well, then I'll, we'll hope not. So, <laughs> all right. So you're coming up there in, in Ohio. What was it that you wanted to do? What was it you wanted to become in life? Well, I was always interested in, you know, aside from sports, of course, which I was going to play as long as I could, I was always interested in science. And I, I enjoyed school just in general, but science seemed to, I don't know, speak to me a little bit more, just it appealed to my personality. I had a, I, when I look back, I, I always had friends who were like, I, you know, I was an athlete, but I was also pretty nerdy and geeky and like enjoyed learning. But I always had friends who were like more nerdy than me in a particular way. So like I had a friend who was really good at computer science. He ended up going to MIT and all this stuff. But we used to get together like in fifth grade, we had this little robotics group where we would build Legos and then program them on these old Apple computers to like run forwards and backwards and nice. move conveyor, conveyor belt and all that stuff. So we were really into that. And I, you know, I love space and NASA and all that stuff. And then, uh, and then I also had another friend who was really into like audio and like electronics. So he, he was a DJ through high school and college. And so these guys were, were much better than I was at these things, but just by hanging out with them, like those interests rubbed off on me and I, I started looking at them as well. And I think that's kind of a theme that comes up throughout my life is that I'm surrounded by people who are better than I am at a particular thing, but I end up taking those things and then blending them with other interests. And that's how I kind of do something unique is like at the intersection of these different ideas, not because I'm so amazing or the best at any one thing. Right. I think that theme will, well, I'm sure we'll keep coming back here in the story. So fast forward ahead a little bit. You uh, went to college, played baseball in college. Yeah, so I went to college, played baseball there. I was a, a closer my first year and then starting pitcher the final three. And I actually... In high school, I had a really serious injury. I got hit in the face with a baseball bat uh, accidentally. And anyway, shattered both my eye sockets, broke my nose, bone behind my nose, got air care to the hospital, couldn't breathe on my own, um, wow. had three seizures. Took a long time to recover from that. Took took over eight months. And so because of that, I missed most of my, a good portion of my like sophomore summer, junior year of baseball. And anyway, so I was kind of behind the eight ball there. I ended up only throwing 12 innings in uh, in high school of varsity baseball. 
And so the punchline of this is it took me a while to recover, but I, I, got, I kept getting better each year after I got back. So like I was, I was delayed, I was slower in my progress than I think I would have been had I not been injured. But my senior year of college, so this was six years after the injury, I ended up being an academic All-American. And that was kind of a I don't necessarily care about the the award. I'm actually more proud of what our team did, and the I had great teammates. Teammates are funny; they're kind of like family. You don't get to choose them, but I <laughs> ended up being really lucky with the group we had. Yep. And that whole process of being a captain, being surrounded by great teammates, you know, my personal journey from someone who was injured and ha- took a long time to recover to become to sort of maximizing my potential, so to speak. That was like a really big long-term growth experience that I think I learned a lot about myself through. I I definitely feel like I grew as an individual, but I also grew as a leader and as a teammate. And I think that that was kind of where I learned that that team achievement is far more important than like individual accomplishment. And once I started to embrace that idea, that that's come up over and over again in my work now as an entrepreneur. And like, how am I building something that? Like it benefits the community as a whole. What is our mission that we're moving toward? All, all of those themes that came up through baseball and I learned through that process of recovering from this injury and leading a, a successful team, those things help shape what I do now. At that point, are you thinking like you may have a, a possible career in baseball or are you just kind of thinking, well, it's going to kind of run its course at the end of college and then I'll have to find something different? Well, I was always thinking that. I don't know if other people were thinking that because I, you know, I, I wanted to play as long as I could. But I ended up a right-handed pitcher. I topped out at like 88 miles an hour, and right-handers who throw 88 are a dime a dozen. Right. In the so the, there was really no. The other thing is, I so I had a teammate who did get drafted, and he was also right-hander, but he touched like 91 or so when we were uh, when we were an undergrad, and. The difference between him and I, it wasn't just three miles an hour. The difference was if you looked at me as a scout, you would say, okay, this kid's at like 90% of his potential. Like I, I had, yeah, I hadn't maxed out, but I was pretty close. Whereas my buddy was like real raw still, you know, they'd be like, oh, he's only 60% of what he could be. We can shape him into something. That's a lot of time what happens with recruiting and drafting and not just in baseball, but in a variety of sports, they draft based on potential and what they see there. So you know, I wasn't at this peak level to be taken the way I was. And, you know, I feel happy about my career. I, I feel like I did what I could. And I feel like I, you know, I made the most of the time that I had. Now, I would love to have played longer, but I don't have any regrets about it. Nice. So I think there's a real lesson there that I mean, the way that scouts would look at potential draft picks is the same way that, you know, we, we look at opportunities is not necessarily what is at the moment, but but what could be and being able to have kind of that forward thinking and just forward vision of, of I see where this is going and what this could be in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So whenever you're wrapping up uh, college there, what are you studying at the time? What are you thinking is going to be one of your next steps? Yeah, I was a biomechanics major. Uh, again, I really enjoyed science and, and all that. But I uh, because <laughs> because I spent so much time playing baseball and caring about baseball and thinking about that, I honestly didn't give a whole lot of thought to what I was going to do next. I just wanted to win. Uh, yeah. was the thing I was I was really thinking about. And so I got to my senior year and I, and I got very good grades. And like I said, I enjoyed school and, and all that. But I was like, well, do I want to go to medical school? Do I want to get a PhD in something? I certainly couldn't think of any jobs I really wanted at the time. And what I had decided to do was go to business school. So I went and got my MBA. And the reason I did that, it was, it was two years. I ended up getting a, a good scholarship to go, so that helped. But I needed some time to think about stuff. Like I hadn't really thought about my future that much aside from from sports. So although I was getting good grades, I, I didn't know really what my next step was going to be. And when I went to business school... 
a couple things happened. One, I knew I was going to be interested in health and science. So I took a couple of classes in the College of Public Health and I, I kept pursuing that. I worked at an orthopedic practice between my first and second year. Really enjoyed that. Got to go into a bunch of surgeries and, and view those and everything. But I also worked in the Center for Entrepreneurship. That was where my graduate assistantship was. And it was in that center where I started to get the itch to, to start my own thing as well. My job was to analyze venture capital investment in the region, sort of talk to these founders and see what kind of companies were coming out of these tech hubs and everything. And and as I did that, I, I started to, to fall in love with this idea of, hey, I could build something too. And so that was where I first got this this idea or this spark that maybe I could build something of my own. Did you have any idea of what you could build or is it more just kind of, I think I could do this. I have no idea what it would look like though. Yeah, it was much more the, the latter. I, you know, I was like, I, I think I could make this work. I don't know what the idea is. And also, I have no entrepreneurs really in my family or, you know, any close friends who were. So I didn't really have, have anybody to look to. Like, I didn't, I didn't even really know the first place to start. Now, I was watching all these other entrepreneurs do it through business school, but I didn't really know what the first step was going to be. So uh, my first ideas, of course, were terrible. But it was more this idea of, hey, maybe I can do this. Let me see, see what I can figure out. What were some of the first things you dabbled with? My first idea, the very first business idea I came up with was this iPhone application. This was, uh, you know, four or five years ago. So people were people were making all this money with iPhone apps at the time, and I was like, oh, okay, well maybe I'll do that. So I, I had saved up about ten thousand dollars to start a, a business, and I spent like the first fifteen hundred or so on this app. I think I paid sixteen hundred bucks, and it, so it took a couple months for it to get developed. I knew some Photoshop and stuff from my photography work, so I actually did the design and then the the programming and the coding. I, I hired a team to do, and. It was an app that it wasn't Instagram by any means, but it was sort of that same idea of like adding filters to your photos. You could turn them into comic strips and things like that. And I launched it and it completely flopped. You know, I spent sixteen hundred bucks on it, and I think it, to this date it's not even available anymore. I think in the year that it was on the App Store, it made like one hundred and seventeen bucks. So I figured out pretty quickly that hey, the problem here is I don't have an audience to sell anything to. Like I have this idea, but I just thought okay, if I build it and put it on iTunes, then stuff will happen. And uh, if you build it, they will not come. That exactly. is like a theme yeah. of entrepreneurship. So, so I, I figured, hey, I need to learn how to build an audience. And that was when I started saying, all right, let me focus on email marketing. How do people build a community of you know, people online? How do you find customers? And I, you know, I spent the next six months researching all that stuff. At the time, what are you doing? Because obviously, you, and you still got to eat and live indoors. So what are you doing on the side to work? The first six months, I basically made no money the first year. I mean, the first six months, I made no money. It took me, it probably was about six to nine months in before I was making a full-time living on business. But in that meantime, that inner, uh, that first period of six months, I was, one, living off the 10 grand that I had saved. And then two, I took on some web design jobs. Now, this was actually very entrepreneurial looking back. At the time, I was like, God, I just need to do something to make some money. But I actually didn't know what a website was like 10 months before this. Well, I knew what a website was. I didn't know what WordPress was or how to build a website. But once I figured out how to do that, how to put up my own blog and design it and like point and click and do a little bit of design stuff, I figured I knew more than a lot of people did. So I started calling up these insurance agents who were, you know, 65, 70-year-old guys who needed new websites but didn't know anything about web design. And so they paid me to build a website for them even though I wasn't a web designer and had like no programming skills. So that was... (laughs) So that was how I made money for the, that first six months. And then I launched my first product and then I launched another one and so on. That, that is hustle at its finest. Like, I don't, I don't know much about this, but I know slightly more than the 70-year-old insurance agent. Yes, exactly. That was, that was what kept me afloat for, for a little while. 
So I, even as you're playing with some of these different business ideas, it sounds like I've got a very, very broad, rough idea, but even that's still pretty rough and broad. What's the people thinking? What are family thinking or people going, all right, James, yeah, at some point you got to start dialing it in or what, what's kind of the feedback you're getting? I think, I, honestly, I think that was probably one of the hardest parts of the whole process. I mean, one, you, you know, I'm a relatively confident person. And I think I have a, a, you know, pretty strong self-image or whatever. And so I, I trusted myself and believed in myself, but there's this disconnect because I had spent my whole life, you know, trying to be successful in sports and academics and, you know, all these different things I pursued. And so I felt like I had this reputation or standard or this expectation from, my family and my friends, and to their credit, they all supported me. So this was mostly built up in my head. But you think that people believe that you're a successful person. And so when you say, oh, I'm going to pass on getting a stable corporate job like everyone else in my MBA program, because I was the only one at the time when we graduated to branch out and like, build a business. Everybody else took a regular job. And all my friends were waltzing into these jobs in corporate America and making 80 to 120 grand a year. And I was like, nah, I'm going to save that to build a website and, you know, and sit here and work to, in, in basically the first there's a to give you an analogy, there's a researcher, Case Western, who looked at famous composers and musicians. And he found that all the famous composers and musicians, when they put out their best work, their best work came at least 10 years into their career. And so he, he terms this this first 10 years, the 10 years of silence. In other words, like it's this period of little recognition, hard work and no fame but you have to put that in to get to something good. That was I was in that 10 years of silence period there early on. And it's really hard to go through that when you're there in the beginning because For sure. you feel like you're working, you know, you're working really hard and you're like, I believe in myself, but there's no results. And you're worried that you're letting everybody down that really cares about you or that, that you want to, you know, you want to succeed for those people. I mean, I want to make my parents proud, right? And so I think that that was a difficult part of it. Yeah, I found that to be the case a lot of times with speaking and really just kind of anything. It's like we, when we look at someone, maybe we're interviewing someone on the show here and we look at someone who's where we would like to be in 10 years, but we don't, we want where they are 10 years from now, right now. So I don't want to put in the 10 years of silence. I want what you have and I want it today, you know? And, And so sometimes it's just difficult to wrap our minds around it. Like nobody's an overnight success. It takes 20 years to become that overnight success. And so you've got to go through those periods of silence where there's just, there's no feedback. There's nothing. You wonder if anybody's reading or watching or paying attention, but that's like, that's what you have to do in order to begin to gain some, some traction. So you're playing with a, a, it sounds like a couple different ideas. At what point are you starting to kind of hone in and figure out, all right, now I got to, I got to get serious. I really got to figure out what my next steps might be. Yeah. Well, I think it was about six months in when I, um, I started writing about freelancing and marketing yourself as a solopreneur and things like that because I was doing those web design projects and I had just finished my MBA. So I felt like I had a little bit of a little mix of ideas that I could bring there. And I ended up building that email list up to about 20,000 people. And that was where I launched my first product. And then I launched my second one there as well. So that was like my first two years. But this was all this was all precursor. I knew that what I really wanted to write about were all the, are all the things I write about now at jamesgood.com, all the stuff about habits and behavior change and health and creativity and linking that stuff together. And so this first side on a website that went well was just a way for me to cut my teeth and like figure out, Hey, how do I actually build an email list? What does decent web design look like? How do I launch a product? Like how do you build something that didn't exist? And then ask people to pay for it and then process those transactions. Like those are, these are really basic questions, but you got to learn this stuff at some point to run a business online. And so that was what that first, 
successful website offered me. But, you know, like I said, there was that period there, that first the first six months in particular where I didn't really make any money except for the, the web design. And then the year that followed that, so months six to 18, where I was making some money, but j- really just enough to get by it. You know, it took me until I launched the second and third product before I was, you know, actually like living comfortably. Yeah. So whenever you're doing the the first freelancing site, you're, you're starting to gain some of like, again, those just foundational pieces of just building some type of business, especially one online. Are you feeling immediately like, I mean, this is okay talking about freelance, but I'd really rather be talking about this habit stuff over there. Or are you feeling like you're just still trying to play with different ideas in your head and figure out how it all plays out in the end? Oh, I absolutely was feeling that way. I actually wrote in private all my ideas about habit formation, strength and health and so on. I wrote in a private document for over a year before I actually published anything and went live with jamesclear.com. And the reason that I did that is because I kept telling myself, I'm not ready yet. My ideas aren't fully formulated. My marketing skill set isn't good enough. You know, a thousand... The usual stuff. Yes. And the reason that that I kept saying that stuff, well, one of the the reasons was I wanted my work to be really good, right? But the funny thing is the the only way to get good is to put the volume in. So it's kind of like going to the gym. Like working out makes a great analogy for this type of stuff. If I said... I'm only going to work out at the gym on days when I feel motivated and that's how I'll get strong. That wouldn't make any sense at all, right? Like I'd sure. show up once every three weeks and you wouldn't get anywhere. But if I'm going to show up every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday like I do now and just not miss workouts and only focus on that, well, there's going to be a couple days where I put up a big number, right? I can't predict when I'm going to set a PR, but I know that if I show up all the time, there are going to be those days thrown in there. And once I started to embrace that, that was the thing that changed my business and I think my work and impact the most. So on November 12th, 2012, I set a schedule for myself to publish a new article every Monday and Thursday. And that's the equivalent of the gym approach of saying, I'm going to go in and work out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? And so since that time, I've only missed once. I was on the road in Italy with food poisoning. But other than that, every Monday and every Thursday since November 12th, 2012, I've published an article. And that. I think has has made the biggest difference of all because by having the volume and showing up consistently, the good things come out. It's like if you show up enough to get the average ideas out of the way, then genius sort of pops up every now and then. Every so often it strikes, but you got to be there on that Monday and Thursday for it to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I use the same analogy too. Whenever uh, people ask, you know, like, how do I become a better speaker? And I was like, you just have to. Ha- going back to the baseball analogy, even you have to have a lot of at bats. And the first several at bats, you just strike out, strike out, strike out, strike. But eventually, like, oh, I made contact. I got to first. You know, I'm making progress. And so the first time you put anything out there, I think we're so even like you were saying with the habits, like we're so scared to put that first draft out there that a lot of times we just would rather it sit in the closet. So what do you think it was that finally clicked for you where you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to turn pro. I'm going to do whatever I need to do, uh, for that, you know, November to start pushing out two a week and to not, not necessarily just keep talking about freelancing. Cause that's what you've done, but to decide, no, I really want to talk about habits. So now I'm going to start letting this out into the light. How do you make that mental shift? Well, one thing, and, uh, I heard you say turn pro. So that reminded me of Stephen Pressfield. One thing that Pressfield talks about is at some point, the pain of not doing it becomes greater than the pain of doing it. Yeah. So like, you know, it's just like I've waited long enough, you know, like it's, it's time to, to actually move forward with this. And the other thing comes back to something you mentioned earlier about how we look at people who are a year or five years or 10 years ahead of us and we want what they have right now, right? We're, we're at day one, but we want what they have at day 800, for example. But 
the thing that you forget is that what they were doing at day one probably looks much different than what they were doing at day 800. Yep. So when I look at you know some of the writers that I aspire to or would like to write um, at their level, people like Atul Gawande for The New Yorker and, and uh, Malcolm Gladwell and things like that, these guys are amazing writers, but the way that they were writing or the work that they were doing in the beginning is probably much different than what you see now. Now they have a team of researchers and fact checkers who are are working on articles with them. They have 20 years of experience or more behind their work. And so once I realized that the way that great people start is often very different from the way that great people finish, then it was much easier for me to sort of swallow that and get started and be like, okay, the only way for me to get great is to put the volume in, put the number of reps in. A lot of times baseball helped me with this a little bit too. I ended up having a good final year of baseball. I ended up having a good senior year, and I, I feel like I've maximized a lot of my potential. But guess what? I played for 17 years. So it, whenever I feel upset about the level of quality I'm producing or whether or not my work is good enough at this point, you know, I can just ask myself, hey, have you been doing this for 17 years? Because that's how long it took you to get good at that. Right, so right. I think keeping that in mind helped. It made it easier for me to get started because I realized that it didn't have to be perfect in the beginning. And it was only by getting through the beginning and doing the work that I'd ever get to something good anyway. I think you have to have kind of a balance there because it helps to look at, you know, like a, in whatever industry, whether it's a Gladwell or whoever that the, okay, that's what I aspire to. That's what I want to be. And that, the fact that the, that person is doing that and they're making a living from it, uh, it validates the idea of the thing that I want to do, but I can only look at them and what they're doing so long. Cause again, like you described their model today at point Z is different than their model when they were at point a and the work that they had to do in order to get there and connect the dots. But, but Z Z is sexy. Like that's where I want to be. Cause that's, you know, that's the cool part. But again, we, sometimes we just miss out on realizing like I have to start at a, everybody starts at a and you can't skip steps in order to get to Z. Well, and the other important thing is you're not okay with failure, right? You're not accepting it or saying that it's fine to produce at a lower standard. It's just realizing that you got to start producing now in order to get to that higher thing. So you're all, like, I'm always trying to raise the game, so to speak, and improve the work that I put out each week. But I realize that I'm going to have to put in the reps in order to, you know, to eventually lift the heavy weight. For sure. So you're doing, you've got the, the writing, you've got the, the blog, the newsletter. How does the photography piece fit in? Or is that, is that something that, that's making anything for you financially? Or is it more just kind of a, an outlet, kind of a hobby for you? I've had some stuff published. So I've been published in Travel and Leisure Magazine twice. Uh, I was published in Wednesday Traveler, homepage of Flickr, some other areas. But I don't want photography to become a job for me. It's something that I do. Like it's, it's probably the one thing that I do that is always just fun. I don't want to taint it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be taking wedding or or senior portrait photos um, and like turn it into a job and just do it to get clients. I want it to be like a creative outlet for me. And I write about this uh, a fair amount about why it's important to be someone who creates and doesn't just consume, and why that plays a role in our health and happiness, and how that impacts the work that we do in other areas and the you know the energy that we bring to life in general. And so, me sharing these photo essays and putting my work up online. That's it's something fun for me to create and share with the world and try to produce a little bit of beauty and put that out there. But it's also a way to live out that principle of, hey, don't just be a consumer, be a creator as well. Nice. Makes sense. That clicks. Let me ask you this. You're someone that, that obviously you have a lot of different talents and skill sets. And I think there's a lot of people that, that listen to the show and people that I've have emailed and just written in and just said, hey, I've got 97 different things that all sound really, really cool. And I like writing and I like photography and I like weightlifting and I like uh, freelance and I like all of these different things. So 
you've kind of built a business where you've got your hand in several different things. What advice would you give or is there anything that you would do differently now to kind of pick and choose which path to follow versus maybe having your, your foot in a couple different paths? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's something we all suffer from because, you know, everyone has varied interests. We, you know, we often say like, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm a firefighter. And then we like box someone into like, oh, yeah, I understand who you are. But obviously that person is much more than just that position, right? They have, they have a range of interests and and ideas. And so I would say the, the thing that comes to mind for me that's helped me, I keep a range of interests, but not get lost and scattered by chasing everything at once. You know, the whole idea of if you chase two rabbits at the same time, you'll you'll never catch either one of them. Yeah. The thing that's helped me with that is that there are seasons in your life and there can be seasons for different interests that you have as well. And so you don't have to do everything at once. It's fine to be interested in a variety of things. But what is the most important season for you to be in right now? So if we take photography and entrepreneurship for me, for example, Photography was not an important season for me to be in when I first got started. So I did not do many photography trips. I've done quite a few recently. But in the beginning, the season that was important for me to be in was learning entrepreneurship and business skills, figuring out how to build something that people would pay for and that provided value to the world and that I felt good about with my integrity and morality and ethics. And so I spent my time in that season. And that that was where I was for the first, I don't know, 18 months or two years. And at the time, that can be kind of hard because you have these other things you want to do and two years can feel like a long time to dedicate yourself to a project. But over the long run, it's not, it's not much time at all. And I think that I'm really big on simplicity. This is another thing I write about a lot. And, uh, and in order for you to get really good at anything, you need to have some type of simplicity and focus. Uh, you're not, it's just not possible to scatter yourself across a range of areas and get great at all of them because of the cost of task switching and the lack of uh, continual effort and time that you're putting into any one effort. And so I would say focus and simplicity are key. Figure out what the season is for you to be working on now and you can transition to a new season later once you have that, the skill set or the, uh, the habits built that would be most effective for you to do right now. Yeah, I love framing it as a season too because I think a lot of times when we figure out, we ask that question, what, what do we want to do with my life? What do I want to be when I grow up? What, you know, Whatever variation of that question may come to us. Sometimes we feel like it has to be a permanent answer. Like I want to be a firefighter and if I'm a firefighter, that's my career for the next 30 years of life. Whereas most of us, we're just not wired to do one thing for the rest of our careers, one thing for the rest of our lives. So most of us are like, well, right now in the season that I'm in, I'm, you know, I'm a writer. And in a couple of years, I may not want to write at all. Maybe I just want to do photography. Maybe I'll do something totally different that is totally not even on my radar right now. But I'm open to the different seasons that come and go in life rather than feeling like I need to make one decision today about my career. And whatever that decision is, is permanent. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And the one caveat that I'll add is Sometimes it's good to have a second interest or a third interest, whatever happens to be for you, to provide balance to your life, right? Like I would not have a business if I wasn't a weightlifter. It's just the plain simple. I would have gone crazy. I would have, you know, driven myself into the ground. I would have worked too hard or thought myself into a into a hole all the time. I needed to go to the gym every week so that I could regain balance and composure and keep perspective about what I was working on so that I could put better energy into my business when I got back. And so There are seasons for a variety of things, but don't use that as an excuse to ignore balance and uh, and some type of, you know, stress relief in your life as well, which is just as important. 
Sure, for sure. Looking back now, when you're kind of wrapping up college there, your baseball career is kind of winding down, and you're just you're looking at a blank slate of options of what you could do. Is there any advice you would give to yourself today, or maybe someone that may be listening to this who just just feels lost or scattered on how you pick what comes next? So I don't have, as far as advice to myself, I feel like I wish, for example, that I started a business sooner. But looking back, like I don't think I made any wrong choices at the time. Like I'm happy with the choices that I made, and I realize yeah. why played out the way they did. Like, yeah, it'd be great if I was, you know, two years further along as an entrepreneur now, since that's what I want to do. But I didn't know that at the time. But one of the balances or, or difficult balancing acts, I should say, about entrepreneurship is in the beginning, you one of the best pieces of advice that I got was try things until something comes easily. So I said, all right, I want to start a business. Let me try a range of ideas. And in that first year, I probably tried like five or six different ideas to see what would stick. And then eventually, some ideas work better than others. You can just tell once you start to put the work in. Yeah. And, and so I figured out what you know what I was going to do or what I was going to move forward with. And I like that idea rather than doubling down on like the one thing that you're convinced should work. But at some point, and this is the tension, you have to transition from trying a bunch of things to committing to one thing. And I, that's like, that's one of the hardest things, you know, and then you get, you see this happen all the time, even with established businesses, you have industries where they're committed to one type of business model. And they say, no, this is what we do. This is what we've done for 50 years. And they're not willing to try new things. And so some new startup comes in and completely upsets the entire industry. So, but it's a really fine balance there because you can't just keep trying new ideas the whole time and never commit to anything. So I don't have the answer to that, but <laughs> realizing that that is attention and uh, it's something that you're going to deal with, I think is is one step. And then understanding the power that commitment can have, I think is important too. Like I, I probably would have committed sooner to different things had I known how important that was. Now, like just saying this is what I'm going to do, it can be so empowering. I think often we. We wait for people to give us permission to commit to something. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's, we're, I think some of it has to do with how we're trained and how we're wired. So like when we grow up, we go to school, we sit down, and, you know, we're told where to sit, we're told what assignments to do, we're told when to turn them in, we're told when to stand in line, walk down the hall and all that. You graduate, you go to college, you're told what you need to take to graduate from your major, and then you're told to apply to the jobs, and then you send these resumes in, you're waiting for someone to tell you, hey, we want to interview you, and then you go to work, and they give you work to do as well. And I know it's just like this whole factory system of being told what to do. And so as a result, I think a lot of times we commit based on reaction, not in a proactive manner. And so learning to be proactive in your commitment and say, this is what I'm going for. No one's telling me to do this, but this is what I'm going to commit to. That's uh, it takes a while to learn that I think, um, and that there's some level of discipline and self assuredness and trust and your ability to overcome uncertainty. All of those things are baked into that, and that that can take a while to learn. And so I think realizing that that's important and being able to take that proactive step and commit to something on your own is something that I wish I would have learned sooner. I don't know if it's possible to learn it. Sometimes it's trial by fire, but that that's something that I think has played a significant role in my entrepreneurship. Nice. Good stuff. Now, James, I know you've got a, a great habits guide just helping people kind of process some of this stuff. I think very similar to what we're talking about because you know we talk a lot about career stuff, but really it's just kind of this bigger picture of, of life. If I want to do something that brings joy and satisfaction and fulfillment to my world and feel like that I'm contributing to something that's bigger than myself and ultimately that I'm becoming more of a healthy, whole, rounded, well-rounded person. So uh, I know that you do a lot related to habits and, and a lot of what we've talked about today, but you've got this habits guide. Where can people find out more about this? 
Yeah, it's uh, I think it's 45 pages. It's called Transform Your Habits. It covers a lot of uh, the things that we sort of hinted at here, and whether that's building habits in your business or health-wise, creativity-wise. And it's free. So if you'd like to download, you can get it at jamesclear.com slash habits. Yeah, make sure you check that out and, and hop on his uh, his newsletter as well. Comes out with those those uh, he, he's told us every Monday and Thursday, so you got to hold him to it. But make sure you you check that out. Really, really good writing. Lots of good stuff to just chew on, ponder, and think about. Uh, again, as it relates to career, but really just kind of the, the bigger picture of life and who you are and where uh, your life is headed. So, James, love the chat, man. We appreciate the time, and uh, we will look to talk to you again real soon. Awesome. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Boom. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that uh, little chit-chat with James Clear of uh, jamesclear.com. Really, really good stuff. God, just really, really liked it. As always, you can check out a summary of the show, show links, notes, everything that we discuss at uh, grantbaldon.com slash jamesclear. So make sure that you go by, you check that out. One thing I really liked about what we talked about there was uh, the idea of seasons. You know, because your career decision, it doesn't have to be permanent. As, as James even said, be willing to try a few different things, but at some point, you, you just commit to a path. And if you go down that path for a season of time, and then you find that it's not worth, that's fine. It's a season. Then you can pivot. You can shift. But there's so many people I talk to who put so much pressure on themselves to feel like they need to know, what is the one thing? What is that one thing that I'm going to be doing for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of life? I just think that careers don't operate that, especially in this day and age. Most people will do a career for three, five, maybe seven years. And even seven years is a long, long time to be doing something. Now, if you find something you want to do for the next 10, 20, 30 years, great. But most people are wired like like someone like myself or like James where we have a lot of different interests. We have a lot of different passions, a lot of different things that we we were, we were want to pursue and things that we want to try. So don't look at it as I've got to do something forever and it's this permanent decision, but look at it like a season. I'm going to do this thing for a season. And when that season comes and it goes, it's fine. You know, if you, if you live in a part of the world where there are seasons and different times of year, you know, one of my, we're, we're coming into one of my favorite times of the year here in the, in the U.S. in, in fall where the, the, the temperatures start to drop a little bit. It's just kind of cooler outside. Leaves start to change color. It's just a season. This season will come and this season will go. The same thing is true with your career. Don't feel like you've got to hold on to it and I've got to make this work forever because if it's not working, if you need to pivot or shift directions, feel okay and feel at liberty to do that. So I uh, hope the James story and I hope that, uh, again, just this overall show has been really helpful in thinking some of that stuff through. Hey, I mentioned to you uh, this week I'm going to be speaking at FinCon. So uh, a couple things. If you're going to be there, make sure that you stop by, you swing by and uh, say, hey, we'd love to meet you. Uh, we're going to be doing a meetup with Jeff Goins on, uh, on, let's see here, I think it's Thursday night? Hang on. Hang on. Don't go anywhere. Let me look here. A Friday night. My bad. Friday night. This September the, the 19th, this Friday night, going to be doing a meetup with Jeff down in uh, New Orleans. So even if you're in New Orleans, uh, swing by. Check it out. You can go register at grantbaldon.com slash fincon, F-I-N-C-O-N. Again, grantbaldon.com slash fincon. You can stop by. Check that out. Uh, it's totally free, but we would love to. But you do got to register. Uh, we'll get a limited number of space. We've got a lot of people that are registering. So uh, last chance. So jump on board while you can. We would love to have you there. All right. Hey, I think that wraps up today's episode. One more quick shout out to today's sponsor, 99designs.com. Listen, if you want a great design that you love, professional, high quality results, you can get something that's that's fast and affordable with a 100% money back guarantee. You got to go to 99designs.com. Go there, 
99designs.com slash grant. They're going to hook you up with that $99 power pack of services for free. So make sure that you check that out. Hey, as always, uh, feel free to email me anytime, grant at grantbaldwin.com. You can catch me on Twitter at Grant Baldwin. Would love to hear from you. Love to know what you're pondering, what you're wrestling with, and anything that we can do to help you, support you on your journey to find and do work that you love. All right, that wraps up episode 37. We'll be coming at you again on Thursday with episode 38. Got a good one for you in store there. All right, peace out, Girl Scout. Have a good one. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.